Welcome to the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City Zoomcast, reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. So hello and welcome to Powered by Age, a senior-led podcast that's in its 43rd episode. And we talk about many things on different days, but today, since it's the Valentine's weekend and uh, family holiday, we're talking about your feelings about feelings. And uh, I'm Charlotte Farrell, the host, and what we do is ask each person, the people that are on at the beginning, we ask them to introduce themselves and give a brief uh, spiel about who they are and what they do. So we'll start with Neil. Um, You have to add this weekend, as a matter of fact, Friday is Chinese New Year, so uh, we've got a... our favorite Chinese restaurant is at the Starlight Casino, and uh, it's called Kirin. And there's another one downtown in Vancouver. And so we're going out and celebrate Chinese New Year and Valentine's Day, all at the same place at the same time. <laughs> uh, my name's Neil Ryan. I live in uh, Burnaby, uh, just, uh, just beside the famous city of New Westminster, which <laughs> my friend Leslie, I don't want to steal your thunder, but yeah, that she's she's just down over there, just right over there. So, um, yeah, and I write poetry and short stories, and um, I'm happy to be here and healthy. And next week is my birthday, and hey, this is a time to celebrate. And so, and and. and I went for a walk the other day and I saw a robin on the lawn and asked the robin, what in the hell are you doing here so early? Because it's, it's cold and it didn't, didn't, didn't ignored me, totally ignored me. And uh, also, because um, I live beside the SkyTrain as I'm walking along and there's still some forest on the other side of the, of, of the new Westminster. And there's a, a, a lilac tree in blossom just absolutely gorgeous so spring is is in spite of the cold weather spring is here okay well, i know we, we will have many feelings to explore with you as we move through this podcast leslie uh, yes, I'm Leslie Hebert. I am a writer and ESL teacher from New Westminster. And uh, I noticed that the daffodils are actually out in Stanley Park. Um, not quite out here in New West, perhaps yet. We're a little bit higher. But, uh, yeah. So, sp- yeah, spring is here. Hmm. Joel? I'm Joel. I'm uh, the uh, technical assistant here today on the podcast from Podstream Studios, and uh, uh, I'm over in Campbell River right now still, 
and uh, trying to get some PhD work done. And actually, I'm in the midst of a funding uh, proposal write-up related to this podcast stuff. So I might be a little tuned in and out, but if you need help with anything, I'm here for you. So, um, And then the other thing is uh, I got some some uh, singing done <laughs> yesterday with a colleague of mine who's stuck down in San Francisco at a studio, and he, he recorded uh, Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb, and it sounds great, and he got me to sing over it. And uh, hopefully it'll be ready by next week and I can get you guys that because I, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, hey, I sound like a famous singer on this. It's pretty good. So we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do with that by next week. Yeah, that'll be fun, too, because we're looking at, and particularly over the next couple of months, experimenting with different things within the podcast. And uh, I'll speak a little bit more about it. But definitely, Joel sang uh, for us at the New Year's time and that was great so we'll look forward to hearing what this new uh arrangement sounds like the only thing i get these days right so (laughs) (laughs) gotta do it uh uh, susan yeah well that uh, you could do more singing the the music that used to be music on main uh, music and more on main is going to be uh on zoom tonight Uh, yeah you never know i uh uh, I'm getting the, that itch, so yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll see how this turns out. We've been doing that every week, and uh, yeah, I I got uh, invited to this by, um, as I say, Gudrun Langolf, who's uh, part of Costco, and I don't know how many other seniors organizations and things. Um, I'm a union activist from uh, way back, and uh, um, but I love to go to music evenings and things like that, uh, which is uh, uh, another one of our contacts and, uh, and do some stitching and that kind of thing. Uh, needlepoint. I'm, I, I don't, I don't write, but I express myself in other ways. Oh, that's, it's interesting that you mentioned needlepoint because I had a couple of people who do crochet, and I've been crocheting. I've, 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 been, I've made about six different hats since this COVID shut-in. But looking at whether there are ways that we can position a camera so if someone is demonstrating uh, crochet, people could see it, you know, and, and explain what some of the basic things. And maybe you mentioned needlepoint? Yeah, needlepoint, yeah, that that's another thing that maybe if somebody demonstrates it, uh, there might be people who might want to take that up as a, a pastime or even a new revenue source during this shut-in. Um, yeah, and well, we've got a, um, a young uh, Heide fellow who does um, a course on cedar bark weaving, and he hmm. sets it up with two cameras so that he can talk to us, and then when he's actually doing the weaving we see his hands and so in fact it's easier doing it on zoom than it was face to face because try and get 20 people gathered around one guy to watch his hands in a room is a lot harder than having a camera on them in a zoom yeah that was we had uh jane come on and she showed ukulele and with her hands it was a lot closer if i'd been sitting in the you know in the program yeah. room I wasn't even interested because I thought I can't really, when somebody's playing it, I'm a, a, what do you call those, kinesthetic person. And so it has to be really close to me. So maybe we could invite him on. We could get information from you about how to contact him and uh, 
have one a part of one of our sessions on seed. I've never heard of cedar bark weaving. Oh, yeah, no, it's First Nations. Uh, hmm. Yeah, they they weave all these things. All those neat baskets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in speaking of feelings about feelings. <laughs> Who would like to start off with feelings that you have? There's a lot of stuff happening this weekend, but around any of the the uh, sentiments that people might be expressing, what are your feelings? Uh, well, if I can jump in, uh, one of the things about COVID I've found is that uh, people that you pass on the street are a lot friendlier. Um, so that in a lot of ways you feel more connected than you did before because it used to be people would just walk by one another. They were in a rush to get somewhere. Now they're walking somewhere for the enjoyment and they talk to the people they pass. I've had an opposite reaction on my street. There were people that I would speak to, you know, before, but I'm going up and I have I, I have a double mask on and sometimes I'll just say hello and maybe one out of six people will say hello back. And some people, if they don't have a mask on and they see that I have a mask, they'll go out by the cars side to pass me. <laughs> and I thought, this is strange because... You know, we this this street used to have a block party, a couple of block parties. They'd have one in July, and they would have one as soon as springtime had come. And so a lot of people had gotten to know each other. So some people are recognized by their eyes, but I'm just surprised at how many when I say hello or I wave, they don't don't wave back or yeah, I'm exactly the same. Is it that I, I I guess I'm a threat because. Uh, um, uh, I have a lot of uh, Asian people here in my area, and uh, uh, and even though I say hello to them in Chinese, uh, they still ignore me, and uh, and and they can't see the smile on my face because I've got a mask on. So I find it really frustrating that people are so fearful that, uh, I, hey, I, I'm six foot something and an uh, old guy with a beard and, and and maybe you can't tell that one. But my mask doesn't totally cover my beard. That's all. Um, but, um, yeah, I, 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 it, 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 it hurts me. I can tell that it's that it's hurting me because I feel frustrated at, you know, God damn it! If somebody takes the time to say hello, <laughs> nice day, respond for God's sakes, uh, you know. And 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 I know there's hobos, and they don't want to engage in a conversation, but. I wouldn't, I guess what really, really bothers me is that they're living in fear. And, and I don't know what, I, I, it hurts my feelings too when people don't, don't respond. And I'm, and 
it, it, in your mind, you know, I think, do they not respond because I'm black? Do I look like a, a threat? Because it does make it, it I've noticed it does make it, it hurts my feelings, you know, because I thought, well, we're the same people that we were before we had to put on masks and we talked or shared, a, you know, we, we this thing people would bring food to share. And it, I just thought, isn't this strange? Because they live on the same side of the street as I do. Mm-hmm. But why do, and the little, you know, there's some little girls that used to sell um, lemonade or jewelry. They sold all kinds of things. And I would buy stuff from them. And you know, if I say hi, they don't say anything back. Well, uh, I, I'm blessed with having learned how to speak Chinese. And, you know, I'm saying San Ning Kuai Lo, so, which is Happy New Year. And, and, uh, and you know, it's like at, at least acknowledged, but Another one to let it go, let it go, let it go. Another one. Life's about that, about letting go. And sometimes things get taken and sometimes things you just have to let go. So, but we all move on. Yeah, it's been a strange experience walking around during COVID because I find, you know, people say that your expression is in your eyes, but it's actually not. It's actually your mouth and your whole face, you know, the muscles that change on your face. So you really can't see people's expressions. And But I found, you know, with the social distance, you know, the, the comment about people walking off the sidewalk. And I generally don't wear a mask when I go for a walk. So I generally do that. But at the same time, I try and keep eye contact and kind of nod at the people and acknowledge that, you know, and kind of thank them for keeping the distance. Um, and then, yes, again, some people acknowledge that and some people don't. Guess I'm just lucky in Deep Cove because. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love Deep Cove. My daughter took me there for my birthday. I wanted to go somewhere where you could sit outside and eat. And there, they had so many places have got had you know, seating outside. So we were able to go, and I, I love being able to look at water. So Please it was the first time I'd been to Deep Cove. Please tell everybody you know that Deep Cove is a COVID-19 hotbed, and they shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't come this summer because they're going to be tearing up Gallant Street to put in a two-meter-in-diameter pipe, and the parking will be forget it. There won't be any parking. Wow. Well, come again in September, October. We'd love to have you then. <laughs> I saw two buses go there. I was trying to scribble down the numbers. I don't know whether it's the 22 or something. Yeah, those two little buses, I thought, that's great because I don't have to wait for, you know, we just use a car when we need to. My daughter will rent a car, but we had a car in, everybody in the house had a car in Los Angeles, and we spent so much money on car, gas, and whatever. So here, we take the bus most places, and so I was so happy to see that there were two two buses that, you know, coming by there. Yeah, no, we uh, we drive electric, so we don't have to worry about that part. But uh, I think that's one of the reasons that we're getting the flowers and things early, like we did last year, is that there's a lot fewer people traveling, and so there's a lot less fumes in the air. And uh, and I think nature is saying, "Oh, this is good. I can breathe again." Yeah, I noticed on a lot of trees, the leaves didn't fall off. 
Like last year I took pictures on my street and all of the trees, you know, it was just the branches. But there's several streets, I mean, several trees on this street that that uh, the leaves are shriveled up, but they didn't all fall off the tree. Huh. Well, the wind today, that should take them all down. Yeah, usually it's the wind that ends up blowing them off. They don't generally just fall off by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, Joe, how it, uh, some people are talking about they're feeling uh, just a Zoom burnout. I'd mm-hmm. like to say, too, just uh, acknowledging, oh, Chris is here. Can you help watch the waiting room? Um, Joel, I don't know how long Chris was there. I was talking and not watching the waiting room. Do I have to make you the co-host? She's in. I'm here now. Okay, I'm sorry. I just I forgot to ask uh, uh, Joel to be the co-host, and I was just talking away, and I said, oh, uh, <laughs> Chris yeah, is I'm in, co-host the, now. in, the, in yeah. the meeting room. I, uh, I, I, I was a bit late, so... There you go. Okay, I'm watching. I'm here now. now. <laughs> okay. Well, you can introduce yourself. Everybody said who they were, and then we're talking about feelings. <laughs> oh yes, I remember that. Uh, I'm Chris Morrissey, and I am a proud participant in Quirky, a queer imaging and writing collective for elders that meets regularly at Britannia Community Center, where I am also a member. And I'm also very happy to be part of this podcast uh, and looking forward to whatever comes up today. Thank you. Hi, Chrissy. Nice to see you. Hi, Neil. You you coming along better and better? Oh, yes. I got my shrinker sock on a couple days ago. So that's the step prior to getting a cast a cast taken for my leg. Uh, and then once a cast is taken, then I'll get a temporary, hopefully get a temporary prosthetic. And then away we go. You get a club so that you can beat people with. Is that it? Uh, I'm not sure that that comes along with the prosthetic, but, you know, I'll see what I can find. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid if I kick somebody, though, it would really hurt. Hmm. Whom would hurt whom? <laughs> Anybody that I kicked. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you, my dear. Really. Good to so be what here. Are your, you know, we were talking about feelings. It could be feelings on anything because we said feelings about relationships or feelings about how commercialized Valentine's Day has be- become. Did you have feelings about any any particular <laughs> uh era or uh, aspect that you wanted to bring up? Um, well, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tough, tough topic for me um, because um, Valentine's February 14th, um, my Bridget, my partner died on the 21st. Oh. So it's like a week Valentine's Day always reminds me that uh, that the last that I was with her the last week that we were together before she died. Uh, so it it brings up a lot of a lot of feelings, um, both of gratitude that we had so many years together, and also a great sense of loss and sadness. 
As for Valentine's Day itself, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Almost all of the holidays these that we celebrate have been commercialized. Somebody's yeah. got to make money out of it, out of us. <laughs> and so why, why not? <laughs> what so, really gets me is the commercial that says every kiss begins with K's. Now, the kiss doesn't belong with a K's diamond. <laughs> it, that would really, you know, it, it irritates me more than any of the other commercials. I don't remember that one, so. It, it may just be on the American feed, because I think K's is, I don't know where the K's is in both countries, but... They are a big diamond company that sponsors a lot of stuff. Well, when I remember back to what Valentine's Day was like when I was a child, um, well, actually as a teenager, I guess, uh, it was for sending an unsigned card to a secret love, right? And that was all. There were no chocolates. There were no gifts. Not everybody even sent cards. Oh, it's your last day. I know. Oh, all of us. Yes. So, I want to share just two two stanzas from a poem that I that's in my book from the other side. Ca. Anyway, just two paragraphs. It's called the, Mel the Melancholy of Windblown Grass. The melancholy expression of windblown grass in stillness, the hissing sadness emanating from rain on the lake, the sorrowful beauty of moonlight through the trees. Nature arouses our emotion in a thousand different ways. Something stirs from inside to remind us we are feeling creatures from ecstatic pleasure to heart-wrenching pain, according to our interpretation of the experience, with the emotions there to remind us we exist. Thank you. I just wanted to throw that in because that I've got so many poems that, that talk about feelings and, and emotions, you know, that, that in fact that our, our health is based on dealing with the feelings of joy and the feelings of sadness. Um, and, and, and I really believe that we have to deal with the emotions of the traumas as well as the emotions of, because this is, a, this is a, an existence of loss. We're constantly losing lovers and friends and parents and and to the ultimate sadness sometimes we lose our children mm -hmm. can you read that line again about hardwired the stanza that says hardwired no there's no hardwired about the line before with the emotions that remind us that we exist what's the line before that from ecstatic pleasure to heart-wrenching pain according to our interpretation of the experience somehow heart-wrenching <laughs> went into my head as hardwired 
<laughs> well, actually, that's probably true. We are hardwired for that, for that uh, uh, heart-wrenching pain with emotions there to remind us that we exist. Yeah, I think uh, with what Chris was mentioning, writing to someone or writing about a feeling has been a way, some points of helping me dealing with the loss of a person. Uh, a dear friend and, and uh, business partner, person that I had gone to film school with and we were shooting videos and some of the times I was going back and forth to uh, Los Angeles, passed away in the crossover between 2020 and 2021. And it just, first was just unimaginable in my brain. It's like, how could that happen? We were just talking about stuff we could do and uh, and I I, I uh, in trying to get past the sadness and see the person, I wrote a poem. I mean, I've written poems other times. I wrote a poem for my mother. When my mother passed a year later, I was driving my car. I was crying, so I had to stop and pull the car over to the side. But when I got home, this poem came to me, and I wrote a, one of the longest poems that I've written called Praying Tribute to Your Spirit Mama. And in each of those stanzas, paying tributes to different things, it really released a lot of the pain because there were some things that I never got to say. Oh, thank you for like your poem when you were, that you wrote to your mother. Uh, you know, thank you for figuring out how to buy five pairs of shoes, five sets of groceries, five pairs of this on a postman's two-week pay, and I just that was the act of writing the poem was very healing. And then different people have asked me to read the poem. In fact, ultimately, it was one of the things I made a short um, video poem about. But I think, you know, with with uh, the, the writing is one way of being able to massage or deal with feelings that come up around the loss of a person or, or thing. I don't know. What do you feel, Joe? Jo, have you ever written any songs to deal with particular feelings or emotions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually I can't remember the last song I actually wrote, though, because uh, I kind of stopped when I started my grad studies. Um, for a number of reasons, I switched into different types of work rather than um, <laughs> work, rather than on stage and performing and that. And so I was more working ca with cameras and other tech. And then the writing aspect of academia <laughs> just kind of killed my desire to write in a lot of ways, unfortunately. And uh, I'm finding that a bit problematic going back into it. It's like... I'm, I'm now having to reread and rewrite and going like, I thought I got away from all this because it just gets really, just really cumbersome, sticky academic jargon stuff that in one way is how I write, but is also not helpful to communicate things a lot of times. So um, yeah, in terms of writing songs specifically for emotional appeal, I sing them instead. Uh, I haven't written many, uh, but I find the ones that 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 connect with me that way, and then 
put myself into them uh, as best can because there's plenty of songs out there and Sinatra didn't need to write his own. He could pick and choose as he went. That's how I look at it. <laughs> yes. Joel, you, you, you must be in your writing either talking about an experience which contains emotions or you're talking about the emotions contained in the experience because you because your song tells a story and what do you what's what's the meaning behind the story it is 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 always got to ha have something to do with feeling feeling in love feeling upset feeling anger feeling yeah, there's always a narrative at some level. The the stuff that, that I'm working with right now that are going back to my old stuff, uh, and because I'm in Campbell River and there's this stuff relating to Roderick Heg Brown, who's the fly fishing angler writer, uh, that kind of took my work into a into a new space. It was more observation, more I mean the experience was less emotionally driven, even though I mean something was connecting him to the nature and the, the scenes around him it was more observational and had this kind of easiness to it that uh, didn't get caught up, I guess, in the emotions. And that's kind of a, a freeing thing to, uh, to work with that type of writing. So, um, you know, a lot of stuff, especially in the academic side, you have to observe without judgment, without trying to, necessarily put your two cents in at, a, at particular points you have to sort of take a step back and just communicate what's going on around and then go into your arguments so moving in and out of those two kind of perspectives without getting <laughs> you know it's a big issue especially in my writing because it does often get into narrative and um referential to where i am in the observations you know there's a a back and forth there that they can it gets problematic sometimes in in the academic side but it's something that we're finding you're kind of unavoidably within some narrative so you can never get out of that cultural space and look at things completely objectively so how do you address that and uh yeah and emotions are going to be there regardless you can't we're we're not robots <laughs> right thank goodness yeah <laughs> Chris, have you? What about you? Have you found writing to be a, ve a, a vehicle for writing about emotions or feelings? Oh, you have to unmute. Um, yes, I have. I I think particularly um, challenging feelings. Um, I mean, I've been going through some stuff because I'm looking at m memoir writing and because of all the time I have right now, uh, being, being where we are and being in this quarantine and lockdown, so there's not a whole lot that, um, that I'm able to do. And so I decided one day, oh, heck, I've got all these pieces that I've written. They're all hanging around. Some are finished. Some are not. Many need editing. So I thought, okay, this is it. And one of the things that I discovered was that there, there were some pieces that I had written that brought up a lot of difficult emotions, um, shame, sadness, uh, fear, 
Um, and so, and, and so for me, writing about it is one piece. The next piece is actually having somebody read it, um, which makes it, which sort of takes it to another level. The writing brings it out of me, but the reading puts it in, in, in puts it out there uh, at a, a bit, a bit distant from me. And that's for me a scary thing when it comes to feelings, especially, especially feelings that are, are ones that we're not, ones that aren't really encouraged um, by society, or mm-hmm. ones that I've kept hidden deep inside me for many years to actually begin to put those things down on paper. Uh, and then to actually have somebody read them is can be a real challenge, but I think it is part of the healing process. And I, I volunteer. It, I volunteer to be your editor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were volunteering to be her reader. She said it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A reader uh, uh, for sure. I love you, Chris. You're just wonderful human being. I'd love to read your stuff. So. All right. Well, maybe one of these days. Maybe well, one of these days. That's another way of saying, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's not let's not rush into this. That's, well, that's right. When I'm ready. <laughs> well, if it's any encouragement, Chris, I actually belong to a writing critique group. Uh, we meet on Zoom every Monday night, and we've just got a new member um, who has been writing her memoir, which deals a lot with tragedy and loss in her life. And she read her first piece to us this week. And she was absolutely terrified. You could hear the shaking in her voice as she read. But she got such positive feedback from all the members of the group that I think, you know, we're really encouraging her to carry on with this. Because she actually did write some beautiful, sensitive stuff. Chris, I want I want to read. I, I'm sorry, Leslie. Did I did I step on you? No, I'm finished. Chris, I want gonna, to read. Hang on, Neil. I was going to say yes, uh, yes. I appreciate that. Thanks for that, Leslie. Okay. Um, I know I did. I did share the, the one of the pieces that I've been struggling with with two very close friends, and got some positive feedback, but I've never read it out loud. Mm which I think is another whole experience, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Neil, take it away. (laughs) Talk to the child. That's the poem. Okay, two paragraphs only. What relieves the disappointments of life? What heals the wounds of life's multitude of losses? What mitigates the pain that life gives to our childhood? Healing comes from processing these feelings. Talk to the child. Look past the reflection in the mirror as the child you once were still lives there. Day by day as we grow older, but buried emotions never age. Anger, shame, sorrow, loss, soul injuries, all hurts to the heart are still there. Talk to the child. I could go on, but anyway, that's enough. Talk to the child. I wrote a poem called uh, Rebirthing Our Worthiness because as you've commented, uh, 
and, and kind of related to what you said, Joel, about academic environment, I, I taught for 20 years at a university level, and there was this whole thing of that you are not supposed to uh, talk about the you, the I. <laughs> and I, I wrote this poem, and uh, it's kind of from the feeling sometimes when you are trying to shift the perception people have of you or the perception you have of yourself, writing a poem was a very moving, very interesting way in shifting me. So, rebirthing our worthiness. You are the beloved of your innermost heart. With each beat, a thunderous reminder sounds. Yet sometimes it falls in the abyss, the abyss of misconceptions about I, worthiness, the abyss of mistrust fed by ill conceptions of how marvelous it would be if you felt fantastic about I. You are the I that has smelled the sacred essence of fertile dreams. You are the I that has felt brilliance brimming over with solutions, solutions to family matters, financial matters, environmental matters, Solutions to the issues of the day that matter most for human survival. You are the I that has voluntarily surrendered its voice, surrendered its power, surrendered its sweetness. Now step into the bliss of birthing I from the cocoon. Now step into the bliss of birthing the fruit of your yes. Now step into the bliss of acknowledging I love with content. Acknowledging love and appreciation for your gifts as I. Acknowledging love and appreciation for the I in your integrity. Acknowledging love and appreciation for the I that has abundant creativity, abundant health, abundant joy, abundant generosity, abundant prosperity, and abundance peace. And so it is for I and I. Thank you, Charlotte. That was lovely. But it, it helped me because I, at one point I was feeling, you know, at some point you can just feel like you've lost your voice entirely in sacrificing to the we or the authority or the things that says that you should let your opinions come through you but not have an opinion or not talk too strongly. That's that line from Shakespeare, we think you think of too something highly of yourself. And I think, particularly in academia, we get told that a lot. You know, you think too highly of yourself, you know, so. (laughs) Sound like my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Even when I was a child, I had an aunt, and when she would take me places and people would say, oh, what a pretty little girl. And she would say, don't tell that child she's pretty. (laughs) And it always, you know, made me wonder, is there something wrong with being pretty? Or There are probably a lot of things in this society who do that. And that's why I thought saying that poem, that's the thing that came from reading it out loud. Because a lot of poems that I've written to myself, I hadn't said out loud, but then I've gone to do poetry at a boys' mm. maximum maximum security correctional facility or people in recovery. And when I've read some of those poems, people have said, ah, I could write about my experience. So I think it does help us as we read the things that people feel enabled or unlocked within themselves to write about things that might have been deeply suppressed or that might, they might have felt 
uh, you shouldn't write it, you know, you shouldn't do that. Kind of what you were saying, the things that we feel like we shouldn't share out loud with other people. Susan, what's your what's your comment? Well, I'm I'm quite enjoying listening to you. Um, I think I've written exactly one poem in my life, and that was about working at uh, at the airline uh, and and people uh, telling you that uh, you know, making you feel as though it was all your fault that the weather was bad and their flight got cancelled. And <laughs> so I did write a little poem about that, which I've got somewhere. But uh, other than that, I uh, I love to read poetry when I go to these zoom uh music evenings what i do is read poetry uh, um you know some uh, robbie burns for robbie burns day and uh, and then there's some great poetry coming around right now uh, some from that young woman that uh, spoke at biden's inauguration and uh, some positive stuff uh, so that's what i like reading mm-hmm. One way that I've dealt with emotions over the years is through journaling. And, uh, you know, the idea is to sit and write, you know, uh, X number of pages every day. And it doesn't matter what you write, just let it flow. And sometimes it amazed, it has amazed me what's come out of that. Feelings that I wasn't actually aware that I had. So, you know, revealing them even to myself and then helping me to deal with them. And that's not for anybody else. That's just strictly writing for myself. In fact, a lot of them I've just trashed afterwards. But yeah, but I found that's a great way to deal with things. I think one of the things about that is that it requires a great deal of discipline. Mm-hmm. I know I've had moments of starting that. I remember reading, wasn't it, The Artist's Way, way back? Yeah, that's how I started. It was like writing three yes. pages a day. And yes. I actually did it consistently for about two years. Yes. I don't do it anymore. I don't feel the need to, but it was helpful at the time. Yes, I, I started too, but I never did more than two mm-hmm. weeks. Okay. on my bookcase. And one of these days, I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it certainly is about, uh, it certainly requires a certain amount of discipline. I mean, I know when I think about, you know, or hear about, hear authors talking about how they've written a book and they start and they sit down and they just work at it mm-hmm. day after day after day. And, and And I'm not sure that I've ever managed to achieve that kind of, focus discipline to be able to uh, to be able to do that so um and and i'm not quite sure why i'm i mean i think there are some i mean one of the things are those underlying emotions and feelings that Mm -hmm. sometimes i know that i'm afraid of uh becoming too real or uh, uh erupting erupting um in ways that i'm not necessarily comfortable with but I also know that this, this, the discipline that's required to do that, just every day to write a couple pages in a journal, requires a lot of discipline. Mm. Um, so I commend you on having done that because I know I wasn't able to do it. Yeah, my biggest challenge was actually finding the time to do it. 
And I know the the theory is that you get up, you know, half an hour earlier in the morning, which isn't good for me because I'm not a morning person, um, and just get up half an hour earlier and spend that free time writing. Well, I never did that, but I used to sort of steal the time because, you know, I have, you know, I have a home and I had family at the time and there were issues going on and it was very difficult to find any time for myself. So I would steal time on the sky train or in the bathroom or, you know, whenever I could snatch the time. And it was a challenge to keep up with it. And yes, I did feel a lot of resistance a lot of times to things that were going on. But nobody else was going to read that but me, which I found very freeing, actually. What I found about journaling, when I was packing stuff um, to move from my place in, in L.A., and I... I had like a Noah's Ark. These are the things that I would keep. And I had one for journals, and I found I had seven to ten journals that I, I filled up. But some of them, I found days, especially, you know, at the end of a relationship or things that were shifting, that just getting up in the morning and, and writing, uh, it was very, like, much like having a companion. And then at the end of the night, just writing, it didn't really feel like it took extra time. It was feeling that kind of just empty or hurting space to have someone to communicate with because sometimes you know if you have i've had i've had a best friend die i think all of the people that i met when i first went to to la have all made their transitions so there's been a time when i had this best friend i talked with about that i had a mentor and so the journaling helped a lot because i was just writing things that would be kinds of things that i would say to that person now since i've been here I haven't really been doing, I filled up a lot of notebooks, but I haven't been journaling. It's like stuff mm-hmm. to do or things I'm learning. And interestingly, for Christmas, I have two different journals. Somebody sent me a really expensive journal <laughs> and somebody sent me a journal for, I complained about a company. They wouldn't give me my money back. They didn't offer what they were supposed to. So after writing several things, I said, well, I'll go to their Twitter feed and I'll just write about how this company doesn't communicate. And they sent me a really expensive journal because it's got a little magnetic thing where you can oh, put wow. to the pages. And I said, well, that's funny. <laughs> but uh, the journals are, are really good for, you know, like health journals. I've, I don't do so much when it's one for a purpose. Like if a doctor says, keep a health journal. Mm. I am the least likely person <laughs> to keep that journal. But the idea of it being like talking with the best friend, that helped because there were a lot mm. of things that I put. And then I looked at how I scribbled some things since I was worrying, suppose somebody found my journal. I can't read what half of it says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that too because sometimes stuff was coming so fast. Yeah. I just didn't have the time to make sure my writing was legible. <laughs> But, you know, journals do help. And and around memoirs, I was talking with Cynthia Sharp last night. She's she's come on and she did a poetry workshop and will be doing some work with us as we're doing the the interviews. We're working toward building Canada's largest reservoir of interviews. And so it's going to be helping with making some of the connections to libraries for when we have this treasure that needs to be put different places. But we were talking about memoirs that sometimes people keep putting off and putting off and putting off because it seems like such an enormous task, but taking and doing just episodes around mm-hmm. a particular thing and then making an audiobook because audiobooks are really popular now. Uh, Audible has set up a system to make it easy for people to 
listen to the quality. It, it's got a tin-checked little system that you can use if you're developing an audio book. So I think that might be one of the things when it's not the weight of, oh, I have to finish this whole work called a memoir, that just feelings or episodes about particular things. You write about that and then move it up to either being a book that's in, you know, serialized or an audio book that's in serialized. Mm. Yeah, I think There's starting out Yeah, I know my uh, Japanese uh, travelogue that I'm working on started out as a series of short travel articles. Mm -hmm. And then there just seemed to be so many of them that I thought I could sort of unite them together in some kind of narrative. Um, and again, it's they're short stories, but they're becoming sequential. It's becoming more of a united single work. That's how it started. Right. Start small. And if it's going to lead somewhere, it will. Yeah, that's kind of how mine started as well mm -hmm. with writing episodes. And then somebody would read it and they'd say, well, did you describe this person in an earlier episode? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because here's this here's this self-contained piece. And they say, well, because I know who it is. I know I know the description and all that stuff. And but but I'm thinking, well, no, I haven't in this piece. Have I in a previous piece? So I, I'm at the point now where I've written so many individual pieces, trying to figure out. Uh, trying to figure out um, some of them need re-edit. Some of them need reworking. Mm. But in addition to that, it's it's finding that way of putting of bringing them together. Yeah, because I've got so many so many bits and pieces of mm. stuff. Yeah, in a, a future time, Chris, uh, when you feel up to it, um, if you are interested in, in getting really positive feedback on your pieces, um, I can send you information on this critique group that I belong to. Okay, why don't, you send it, why don't you send it anyway? In, uh, yeah. in, in Quirky, we do, we do do critique. Mm -hmm. um, like twice a month, we meet in our small groups. And in our small groups, different people will read something and then we'll get some feedback. Um, so, yes, I mean, maybe I'm at the point where I need some some other more or other kind of feedback. That would be great. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, I'll email you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to get that information, too. Sure. Okay. Um, yep. sure. You can include me, too. meeting coming up here. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you joined us. And around, you know, we have done some episodes dealing with advocacy. We're going to be um, in March doing a, a tribute to Chandran Gill and talking about his advocacy work in the farm workers, etc. We've talked about transportation. I mean, there are a lot of advocacy issues that sometimes we've done. <laughs> I was just emailing with Raj about Sharan because uh, uh Raj Shuhan and Sharan and I walked a picket line down in North Vancouver like, I don't know, 40 years ago together. There were only the three of us showed up. And I, when I just read that he had passed, I thought, you know, you, you can't believe it. I'm vir virtual hugs to, to Raj. And uh, yeah, that would be fascinating. Yeah. Do you have my email? Because uh, you have Marion's email. We're now kind of putting the program together of people who knew him who might want to be, you know, have some commentary within what, the program. What I just, um, 
throw my email into the chat and then you'll uh the pba afc at gmail.com yeah well okay i was just going to put mine into the chat and then you can okay because i'm not yeah because since someone referred you i don't have what your email is but if you put it in the chat then i can send you yeah yeah that would be great yeah i i expected to see some of the people that were on that other list so i was kind of anyway that was fun thank you very much everybody okay thank you thank look you, forward Susan. to seeing nice you to again you. yeah thinking about your um your library of interviews to Charlotte. I know lots of museums have oral history archives. So when you think about contacting libraries, you might also think about museums as well. So they have collections within the BC museums? Um, yeah, I know the New Westminster Museum is trying to put together a, an oral, a, an archive of oral histories of local residents. So, you know, I think that's something that they might be doing at other regional museums. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then um, Joel and Chris, Joel is working on, we're, we're looking at with this interviews, there are two levels of things that we're doing. On the podcast webpage, we have what's called episode or listening sessions and we have spins poem I mean, the spin stands for stories poems interviews and novelties so some peoples will be on that page but beyond them being in the the interview section of the spins we're looking at making this reservoir i'm a tactile thinker kinesthetic person <laughs> we will have a reservoir <laughs> and uh, Joel being a systems thinker or workflow, uh, workflow, let's say workflow, but <laughs> workflow, conceiving <laughs> uh, person, it's, it's a way that uh, we can develop different stories because we know from listening that after uh, two to eight minutes, people stop listening. So we're looking at whether bringing in music, what things to bring in. So as people flow through a longer interview, that they will get to the end of it. We we all grew up when there was, I don't know about Joe, but we grew up when you went to the movies and there was a, an A and a B and it was going to be continued in next week or continued next month. And so we were used to coming back to get the rest of the, the, the series. So it's just got to be thinking with a couple, you and Gail, about three people did interviews that are longer. They are um, 20 minutes to half an hour. A storybook, there's a program in the States where their model and the set of questions they give people to ask people results in a half an hour to 45 minute interview. And they are housed by the Library of Cong Congress. They I took their webinar, they encouraged me you know, to do this, but they said, you have to make your own reservoir for in your country because we only put uh, things into the Library of Congress. So that's where I got this idea that we could be the group that makes something that becomes like, maybe it will, uh, I don't know whether Canada has something similar to the Library of Congress, but. The National very, Archives would be yeah. probably. So, so it would be a stepping stone to doing that because, um, 
in the states, the company that has got, they have over 2,000 that are in the National Library of Congress, but it was a nonprofit organization that petitioned them. So we would be able, if, you know, the quality and variety of interviews that we have, we would be able at some point to petition the National Archives, but we can develop a lot just at first go into this reservoir that 411 has and then the libraries that um, we're working to develop relationships with. Um, one of the things that occurs to me is there, there's, there's already a lot of um, those kind of oral histories that have been done. I mean, I'm aware of um, when I was working, we had a grant from New Horizons, and we did a whole thing on recording stories of older uh, lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual people. And so there's that. I think that's housed at SFU. Um, I know that there's an oral, a lesbian oral history. So I think I think there's a fair n- um, number of different groups that have worked on some of that. And it seems to me that one of the helpful things would be to find a way to integrate them all together, so that they're you know, so that the the there's we're looking at one overall um, archive. If 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 you're thinking of the national. National mm-hmm. Archives, right? Well, interviews, though, are a little bit different from oral histories. Like with Storyboard in the States, they have, there is a different division that has stories of people as, but an interview may not necessarily be, you know, an oral history. It's something interesting that the person does. Share, um, I can't think of her first name right now, mm-hmm. but she did something about the, the geologist, a woman geologist, a woman in an uncommon profession. So I think ours is a little bit different from oral histories, but, you know, they're related. It might be that there's a, you know, there's a particular division. There's some things that when we talk about academic style, that there was a way that some people pictured and had locked as a style for an oral history. And ours is more fluid. So I think as we're creating our own standard, we can look at, we don't want to give people a template. Uh, storyboard in the States, they kind of have a template. And you know, we're, we're emerging something different. We'll see what mm-hmm. happens. But I, I think that if people can envision what you were excited about in the person that you in, interviewed, because we say it's someone who is notable or that you find interesting, because one of the goals of the people that first suggested we start doing these interviews is that there are a lot of people, you know, there's a person that, that has a flower shop and this flower shop in their neighborhood, it was so this and that, and the person was so kind and generous. So she always, I mean, it, it's, a, it's not a life history, but it's a story that someone found interesting. And so we're honoring that around older people. No one is, has made to date something where you didn't have to be somebody. You didn't have to be red lighted or, you know, highlighted mm-hmm. that people can do these interviews about people that they find interesting or that they're notable for whatever. So I think once we collect ours, then we can see how does this connect, um, because the Library of Congress has got a lot of different divisions. There are people who've done movies from going and finding stories or finding um, memoirs that people mm-hmm. wrote. The man who wrote the book 12 Years a Slave found the book that was in the Library of Congress that someone actually wrote about being in slavery 12 years, and it enabled him to make the movie that he did. So I just think that 
you know, we, we can definitely connect with these other things, but not necessarily, you know, make ourselves have to fit their form in order to be included. Mm. Or if you're creating a new classification, maybe that needs a bit more definition too as to exactly what this is going to consist of. So how is it different to oral history, right? Well, it's about yeah. things that you find mm-hmm. interesting and notable. So yeah. the oral oral history sound even that word history, it sounds like mm-hmm. it's about their their life. It's a story, it's the yeah. history of their life. But yeah, but I'm also thinking that eventually this is this will become history down the road, right? It's not now, but it will be twenty years down the road. Yeah. Mm. I have a question, and that is because uh, I'm thinking of doing an interview with uh, with an MD and, about seniors, and and um, I, ha- I I I might have access to it, but I, I I'm thinking, what's going to happen to it once I do the archive? Are we going to have a show that? I'm sorry, not archive. The interview. Uh, when I when I do the interview and I've got it and it's on, it's it's downloaded on Zoom. And then what happens? Well, what has been happening with them, um, Jesse listens to it to see, you know, audio-wise, you know, if it flows okay. If somebody has one, someone had a real sound problem with this, and we work with them to get it right. But then it has gone onto our page in the section that's called Easy Listening. And so under the I, the interview section, it would go into there. Now, as we, you know, as we get more interviews, we might look at, uh, you know how CBC has got different things that have spun off? They've got now something that is just stories, or they have things that's just things about dogs or whatever, that we, we might spin them into a different part of media. But that's where Joel's brain and <laughs> Jesse are thinking, of, what else do, do, do we do with them? What, but Initially, they do have a house. The house is on our website. Our website is getting attention. There are people that are listening to it because we have people contacting to say, you know, but I am not in the student mentoring business. I will talk to students and then, you know, within our program. But, but yes, first it'll be on our website and then we can look at what other kind of ways can we make it available can it be a section that's something that's a part of a school's library can it be something that's a part of whatever but first it's just to capture them and the the variety that we have for some that are short that are only three minutes or so to ones that are longer that really uh, Gail did one about a doctor and it was around a bit about his practice what she liked about came so you know we might get them categorized once we have a lot but first it's just to get them to get a variety of people doing them and to build this res- this reservoir and you know there's also the, we are going to be with this podcast um, given liberty to experiment with different things, different platforms, doing things where we include music. I mean, Joel has brought some music. There are those people that know how to program so that really people, we could all be singing a song and be in tune. <laughs> uh, the fun things that we can do that uh, as we build out and we increase and, and we you know get people from other centers, we'll be looking at just things beyond being in these square boxes. There's a way of positioning cameras so that if, you know, you want to be demonstrating somebody 
crocheting, making a salad or whatever. Those are things that we have a doodle that's going to go out that will ask for learning something new or enhancing something. We need a second day. We were, we were using Tuesdays at 10, but that conflicts with the time that Quirky meets. So I have a doodle that's going to get set out where you could pick days so we'll know what's another day that if we were going to be experimenting with learning something or even improving the way we present, what's the day for that? So we're evolving and emerging. We've also offered to uh, a 411, but it, it's also through these other groups that you belong to. If someone had something that they were teaching, like teaching at 411 Center and any of the other centers, but because all these centers can never have more than six to nine people in it, there's a lot of teachers who aren't able to work. But if there were a way that they could present what they do through through the podcast, so I'm inviting teachers to do a sample class during March or, or April as we're building up to our, Joe called it uh, podcast 3.0, but I think we've jumped to 5.0. So <laughs> as we roll out that, uh, right now we are, um, you know, we, exp- we, we are making time to you if you have an idea for something just like the critique if you have an idea and you want to kind of see what it sounds but you've taken the initiative to record it on your zoom we can work with you to make it better to say okay well you know maybe change your modulation or maybe end it here or maybe break it up into parts and then because we have very smart technical people like joel and jesse and luke they can look at what does it take if there's something that's an hour long what can we do so that if the, for the listener, because a whole lot of stuff now around any of these archives is what making it listener oriented, that we've been more presenter oriented, but what can we do to make our stuff so if more I, listener oriented? So if I do an interview, you see, what I'm thinking is I need to be able to sell the idea for somebody to come on to the Zoom. And I'm saying, okay, you're... Your, the interview with you will be archived at SFU. It's, uh, we'll- well, you can say right now it's going to be on our PBA website, and you can go to the website in here where other interviews have been placed so that they can see the kind of like the company that is that is being kept in. We haven't made the we, – we, we have talking conversations going with communication people at the two universities, but we don't have it already set up to say that it's going there. But you can definitely say to people, we have a website, and the interview will be on the website, and you can give your friends the link to it. Uh, we can say to people, if they want a copy of the interview, they, you know, they could get a copy of the MP3 of the interview. So that's that has been an attractive thing to people for for uh, being interviewed. One of the uh, one of the things that is involved in that, uh, and it's getting easier and easier with the technology and the artificial intelligence, and to be able to get the transcriptions done fairly automated. I mean, you're going to have to have a transcription if it's going into an archive like that. It can't mm. just be an audio file. And so the the AI machine learning stuff is getting better at better at making those transcriptions, hearing the audio form and finding the right word for it. But they're still, you know, they're still not that accurate. It still takes a human to go in and read it and, and effectively make it 
nice, right? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, one of the things I'm trying to get worked into this workflow bit is at least that first pass of an automated transcript of what's in the podcast. And then, uh, and then it becomes something visual that you can work with differently than just having to listen back because it's two different ways of looking at, at story, right? As something that's being orated or something that's being written down. Uh, and I think both of those are needed in, in the process. Yeah, so yeah. at this point, Joel, um, so those of us that have already done interviews, um, is, is it at the point yet where we could tell our interviewees that they can listen to the interviews or is that still? Yeah, they're on the Zoom. They're on our website. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, everyone they're, that we've done so far is on the website. Though. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe they're transcribed, although there are no. ways of no. doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be aware. But they can hear it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we will say. Thank you for coming. We'll see you again next week at 1. And next week, we are going to be doing a special segment of on Black History. We're going to have a sec- special segment on Chinese New Year. And we will have our usual sharing of poetry and stories from our members. So look forward to seeing you at PBA, Powered by Age, next Thursday at 1. <laughs>